0: moment uh, tonight to look into the word of the Lord and I just want to speak to you concerning uh, the subject, the preaching of the gospel. I want to talk to you about the preaching of the gospel. Uh, Its role in the life of the believer is vital. It's not something that can be overlooked. It's not something that can be taken for granted. Uh, It's vital to the life and the well-being of the Christian. Amen. And so I want to begin by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll read one verse of scripture and then I'm going to go back to it and I'm going to try to maybe flesh out the text a little bit. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 says this, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. And so I want to talk to you about the preaching of the gospel. The role that it plays in the life of the Christian. The role that it plays in the church. And its importance in our life. It it is not just a tradition or a part of our church culture or religious order. It is vital to our walk with God. To hear the preaching of the gospel. Uh, From the very outset. Of the commission that Jesus gave to his church. Everybody say that means me. He said preach. Preach. The gospel. To every creature. He said to go into the highways. To go into the byways. And compel them to come. Now that means the main thoroughfares. And. And on the side roads, the highways and the byways, he's saying don't overlook any little nook or cranny. But go everywhere you possibly can and preach the gospel to every single person. Preach the gospel to every creature. And the gospel is the life of Jesus Christ. It is the death of Jesus Christ. It is the burial of Jesus Christ and it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and everything that is associated with that. Someone said, and you've probably heard me say this before, but someone once said that the apostolic Pentecostal preachers are, they're so limited in what they can preach because they are Uh, So narrow in what they believe they only have six or seven topics that they can preach about and I took great exception to that Because we don't have six or seven topics that we can preach about we have one topic we can preach about Amen only one and his name is Jesus and that is the only thing we preach and if we're preaching about Uh, salvation, we'd better be preaching about Jesus. And if we're preaching about worship, we'd better be preaching about Jesus. If we're preaching about holiness, we'd better be preaching about Jesus. If we're preaching about giving, we'd better be preaching about Jesus. Miracles, it better be about Jesus. There's nothing we can preach that is not about Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Jesus is the center of it all. And everything that we say or do, we do it all in the name of Jesus. And so everything that we preach needs to have something to do with his life, with his death, with his burial, his resurrection, his uh, showing himself alive by many infallible proofs, his ascension on high, him sitting at the right hand of God, Meaning the fact that he is the power of God. We know it's not a physical being sitting at the right hand of God. There is no second person in the Godhead. But it is a reference to the fact that what has occurred in the name and person of Jesus Christ is the power of God. Amen. And his outpouring of the Holy Ghost upon all flesh. And... Amen. His soon return. Hallelujah. And the fact that we're going to rule and reign with him as kings and priests. Hallelujah. Forevermore. Praise God. And we can come at it from the Old Testament or we can come at it from the New Testament. But everything we say or do or preach or teach, it is all centered around Jesus Christ. That's where the power is. There is no power in anything but Jesus Christ. He is far above all principalities and powers. All dominions, all thrones are subject unto him. Hallelujah. And so we exalt the Lord Jesus Christ in our preaching. And preaching is so important. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18 that we just read, Let us know that the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness but unto us which are saved it is the power of God verse 17 i want to i want to i want to bring this i want to start at verse 17 and kind of bring it down and i can't start at verse 17 without explaining the first sentence verse 17 of 1 corinthians 1 for christ sent me not to baptize he is referring to the fact that baptism is something that he gives as a responsibility to others to do. The Apostle Paul said prior to this verse that I I baptized none of you. Talking to the Corinthian church. He said, I didn't baptize any of you and I thank God that I didn't baptize any of you. He said, Crispus and Gaius baptized you. His reasoning for thanking God that he did not baptize them was because they had a superstition about baptism and that in that they were They were being baptized by people and they were wanting to tie up to that person who baptized them. And that was going to become one of their spiritual leaders. And Paul said, listen, we're not dividing Christ. He said, if it's it's me that baptized you, you're not going to walk away from here saying, I am of Paul. Or if it's Apollos who baptizes you, you're not going to walk away from here saying, I am of Apollos. He said, only Crispus and Gaius baptized you. I didn't baptize any of you. And I thank God that I didn't because I don't want any of you getting the wrong impression that your baptism was somehow tied to me or to Apollos or to Crispus or to Gaius. You're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the power of your baptism. Your faith in that name and what Jesus did upon that cross. Hallelujah. Praise God. That act of baptism into the name of Jesus Christ is an act of faith. That when Jesus died upon that cross, he broke the bands of death. He broke the bands of hell and the grave over the people of this earth. Should they put their faith in him and obey his word. Praise God. So Paul is saying, he's not saying baptism isn't important. He's saying, I didn't come to baptize you. You need to be baptized. He he makes clear of that in many references that that it is is necessary to be baptized. But he said, I don't want to give you the wrong impression that because I baptize you, that now you are of Paul. This is not built upon the kingdom of a man. It is built upon the kingdom of... It is built as the kingdom of God. And it is upon this rock of Jesus Christ that he builds his church. Amen. So he goes on to say, I'm not sent to to baptize you. I am sent to preach the gospel to you. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. I will preach the gospel to you. You will believe and be baptized and it'll be others who do the baptizing. He delegated that responsibility so that nobody could try to divide the body between Paul and Apollos and some of the other, uh, some of the other uh, men of God of that day. He goes on to say, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. This is what you have to understand about the preaching of the cross. To this world, it is foolishness. Don't ever forget that it sounds foolish to this world. And I'll tell you what is also, what is actually foolish is when preachers try to take this preaching of the cross and somehow make it worldly so that the world will accept it. It cannot be made anything other than what it is. It is the cross of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, The world by wisdom knew not God. The world in all of their wisdom knew not God. They actually use their wisdom to try to disprove the existence of God. And it is a futile effort. It is an absolutely futile effort for anybody to use the tongue and the mouth. And, and the brain that gives the messages to the tongue and the mouth to coordinate the letters that create sounds putting their tongue on their teeth and lips and roof of their mouth to use all of that apparatus to say they've never seen a miracle. And they're experiencing one as they speak. They can't anymore explain to you how in the world the synapses of the brain have fired off that many communications to all the various members of their body and and they can tell you, well, if I just saw a miracle, I'd believe. And they're experiencing a miracle as they stand before you. Don't walk out of this building and breathe oxygen and breathe it out as carbon dioxide and tell me ever again that you've never experienced a miracle. Don't look at the trees that grow and, and you have no idea how they come up. They go into the ground as a little seed and they come up out of that ground as a mighty trunk with branches and leaves and fruit. And tell me you've never seen a miracle. Don't, 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 don't honestly wake up to a warm day where the sun is shining and there's literally a big yellow ball in the sky. Warming the earth so that we don't freeze. And tell me ever again that you've never seen a miracle. Just please. we That's the, the wisdom of this world. We'll look at a big yellow ball in the sky. That's giving it warmth so that it, can't, it won't freeze. And say, if only I saw a miracle. I'd believe. And God said by their wisdom, they have rejected God. But God is... God actually reverses it and says it's, it is the wisdom of this world that is actually foolishness. And what the world considers to be foolishness is actually wisdom. And never have we seen it more on display than what we have seen recently when they have, when they have made, literally made the case that a, a woman is a man and a man is a woman that men can give birth and that they cannot define a woman uh, that they that they in the same breath that they champion women's rights they refuse to define a woman it is confusion and it is it is actual foolishness but what is considered foolishness by the world is actually wisdom and don't ever get those two things mixed up and don't let the adversary who is the prince of the power of the air try to confuse you And make you think that because you live a life dedicated to the Lord, that you are the oddball. It is the Lord's earth and the fullness thereof. And all they that dwell therein. This earth operates on the principles and the pretexts and the precepts that God has established. And when you go against those principles and those precepts, you're going to make a mess of your world. This is why if you put things in your body that ought not be there, you're going to have problems. If you try to commit sins that that the Bible says not to commit, you're going to have problems. You're going to have problems. And the Bible tells you. There's going to be, if you commit acts of adultery and fornication, there are, you are sinning against your own body. You're going to be conflicted in your own conscience. You're going to enrage the people in your society. Jealousies are going to be rampant. The book of Proverbs says you might get yourself killed. And, and, and so when people commit these sins, they wonder why in the world did their whole world blow up? Because there is a God in heaven who by his nature has established the way this world operates. And when you go against the way that world operates, you are going to bring foolishness into your life. So you be careful when you abide by the wisdom of this world, you're abiding by real foolishness. But God has chosen by what the world calls foolishness to save them that believe. Hallelujah. So the Bible goes on to say, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. Verse 21, it pleased God By the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe there is a power in preaching that will save them who will believe for the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. He's talking about the difference in the cultures. The Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Now, let me stop there and say, we preach Christ crucified. That's it right there. That's it. That's everything. We preach Christ crucified. If you'll preach Christ crucified, you are preaching the whole counsel of God. Because wrapped up in those two words, Christ crucified is the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, what about his obedience? That's wrapped up in the word Christ. Hallelujah. He was an obedient man, obedient in all points of the law. He was obedient in the places where we are to be obedient and have found ourselves incapable of being so. He was spotless. He was pure. He was perfect. Every I dotted, every T crossed what you and I were supposed to do, but what you and I failed to do and have continued to fail to do. Jesus Christ was perfect in every way imaginable and he obeyed the law. He came in under the law. The Bible said that he was made under the law. So he came in under the law and he kept the law and beat the law at its own game. If you please, he did not cheat his way to redeeming sin. This is why he could not snap his fingers and redeem every person on the earth. In order for him to redeem people, it has to happen according to the law. And he kept the law as the pure and perfect lamb, spotless lamb, perfect man, lamb of God. That's Christ. And in that condition, he was crucified. And that's it. Jesus wasn't crucified. And then three days he fought against death and hell and body slammed death and elbowed hell and karate kicked the grave and back flipped. No, no, that's not how it worked. The moment he died, his resurrection was imminent because he didn't die a transgressor. He didn't die an iniquitous man. He didn't die as a murderer. He was capable as a perfect man. Oh, hallelujah. As God manifests in the flesh, he was capable of assuming all the sins that humanity had ever committed and all the sins that humanity would ever commit and take those sins to the cross, nail those sins to the cross. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, because of his innocence, we were, God was actually able to lay upon him the iniquity of us all. This is why it pleased God to bruise him. Not because God is somehow taking pleasure in in this cruelty, but because God knows the end plan. And that is God in the flesh. And it pleases the Father to bruise him, laying upon him the iniquity of every man so thoroughly that Jesus Christ not only took our sins to the cross, but he became our sin upon the cross. When you look at that bleeding, broken, pierced, violated man that was upon that cross, That wounded, that bruised man, that chastised, that mocked, that smitten, stricken, afflicted man, innocent man who was numbered with the transgressors and had no transgression in him. You are looking at your sin on that cross. And every sin you have ever committed has been nailed to that cross in the person of Jesus the Christ. Hallelujah. And my God, have mercy. And every one of those sins were buried with him when he was buried in that borrowed tomb. Glory to God. And when that innocent man went down into that tomb, he went down with no sin in his body, no iniquity in his life story. There was never a time that he had ever committed a transgression. There was never a time where he had ever violated the law and therefore death had no jurisdiction over this man's body. It was the first time in history that anyone had ever entered into the dark dungeon of death with no sin in their body. Having been tempted by sin in all points, but without sin He came down into death, hell, and the grave with victory over every temptation. There is no temptation taken us, but such as is common to man. And he was tempted in all points as we are tempted, but without sin and death had no authority over his body. And that's why the moment he died, it was imminent that he would rise from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, he had victory, hallelujah, over death, hell, and the grave. And today, if you and I will repent from our sins and be baptized into that name, which is above every name. If we will be baptized into that name, we are baptized into that sinless body. And when we're baptized into that sinless body, the innocence that he achieved is upon us. And now, regardless of the fact that I have committed sin in my past, there is an innocence on me because I have repented of that sin and I have been buried in his name. And I can't be haughty or arrogant about that innocence because it's not my innocence, it's his innocence that is bestowed upon me. And I'm buried in his name, which means my name changed. The moment I was baptized, Joel died in the water, and when I came up out of that grave, that watery grave, I came up with a new name on me, and that is the name that will be on me when I'm standing before the judgment seat of Christ. I will not be judged according to the sin I committed before repenting and being baptized into that name. I'm going to be judged by the innocence that he achieved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So when I stand before him, it's like me walking up with a passport that says Jesus Christ. Joel Urson is not allowed. And you know, Joel Urson is not allowed Into that holy city and neither are you with all the stuff you've done. You're not allowed in there. I'm not allowed in there. We've got to die. And be born again. Hallelujah. A new man. A new woman. A new creature. Where? In Christ Jesus. Where? In. Christ. Jesus. Amazing grace. I know it sounds foolish. To the world, it is foolish. I know it sounds foolish, but this foolishness will save you if you believe. I know it sounds foolish, but it is amazing grace, and it is sweet, the sound, and it did save a wretch like me. And I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. It is the preaching of the gospel of Christ. No, it is not. It is not just a ritual, this act of baptism. And it's not just a public declaration of what you already believe. It is a public declaration, but it is not just that. When you enter those waters and go down in the name of Jesus Christ, there is a miraculous transformation that occurs. And there's a new name placed on you in the record that God has concerning your life. Oh, I wish I could preach it like I feel it. I'm trying to teach on preaching. I'm preaching on preaching. But let me go ahead and preach it, teach it, whatever I'm doing. Let me do it a little bit more. Because when you stand before God in judgment, there are going to be two books. One is the book of your life. It's Joel's book of life. And over here is another book. But this Joel's book of life contains the record of everything Joel has done. And that's not a good book. That book has the record of my life. And that book contains every idle word that has been spoken from my lips. That word has every act that I have ever acted upon. It's in that book. And that's the book the enemy would like to judge me with. But if my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Then I will not be judged according to Joel's book of life. I will be judged according to the Lamb's book of life. And this book says innocence. And this book says blameless. And this book says holy. That's the gospel. Hey. Hey. But don't kid yourself. You can blot your name out of this book. You can absolutely grab your eraser and scrub your name out of there and say blot my name out of your book. There's precedent in the word of God when Moses said Lord blot my name out of your book. It is possible for you to to absolutely remove yourself from the equation of what God wants to give you it is your free will and don't let anybody tell you otherwise we do not believe this cruel doctrine that God has preordained who will and won't be saved and there's nothing you can do about it that is not the God we serve that is not the God we serve he did not pre-select you and tough luck buddy if you don't make it no that's not how it works anybody and everybody come unto me he said all ye that labor and are heavy laden i will give you rest don't you buy into this ungodly doctrine oh it's a convenient doctrine of devils to say that god has already decided there's nothing you can do about it that way you can live however you want to live but i'm going to tell you what if you're going to be in christ Hallelujah, there's going to be a miraculous transformation to come upon you. And it is the preaching of the gospel that helps us to understand what it is when we are in Christ Jesus. So uh, let's talk about the difference between preaching and teaching. Somebody said the difference between preaching and teaching is preaching is yelling and teaching is telling. That's not quite the way it is. But I understand what they mean. Here's here's what happens a lot of times. Preaching is the declaration of the gospel. That's what preaching is. Teaching is helping us to understand how to apply the gospel to our lives. Because you can apply the gospel and are supposed to apply the gospel to every aspect of your life be it your finances, your marriage, your prayer life, the way you raise your children, the way you work at your workplace, who you are at school, who you are at home, everything about you is to demonstrate something about the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And teaching the gospel, everything we say or do, it is all about the gospel. So whether we're preaching it or teaching it, it's all about the gospel. The preaching of the gospel helps us understand what the gospel is. The teaching of the gospel helps us to understand how to apply that gospel to every aspect of our life. And how we are to live in it and what it means now. What it means now that we know what it is. What does that mean on an everyday basis, and so it is. That's that's the difference between preaching and teaching. The, the only difference—they're really the same. The reason that sometimes preaching involves yelling is because the word "preach" actually involves. It means like a public crier is what it is. It's it's a word that that means lifting your voice and declaring something. And so when we preach the gospel, we are. It is a public crying. And and what happens many times in the apostolic Pentecostal experience of preaching is that, I'll just, I'll just speak from my case, I just start thinking about the goodness of Jesus. And it starts getting really hard for me to talk about being saved from a devil's hell and being placed into a, a new Jerusalem where there will be peace forevermore on that happy golden shore, It just gets really hard for me to say that and keep my suit coat butt. It gets hard for me to say that and not pull this handkerchief out. Thank you, Brother Enos, for this handkerchief. He knows even on Wednesday night I'm probably going to need it. Because I'm talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's, I have a personal connection to that gospel. And when I start telling you about it, there's something in me that revisits when he brought me out of darkness. There's something in me that revisits when he dried the tears from my eyes. And I don't want to be loud just to be loud. And I'm not trying to hype anybody up. No, let me testify. God is a good God. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. He's a good God. He is a good, good, good God. Hallelujah. And I can say it. I can say it just as easily as I can shout it out. But sometimes you've just got to let the spirit have his way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so the preaching of the cross The Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ. That's the innocence. That's the anointing. That's the innocent one. We preach Christ crucified. The innocent one crucified. And the innocent one being crucified leads you directly to the resurrection of Christ. Which leads you directly to the resurrection of all who are baptized into him and filled with his spirit. Praise God. We preach Christ crucified. Listen to this. Under the Jews, it's a stumbling block. Under the Greeks, it's foolishness. Under the Jews, it's a stumbling block. Under the Greeks, it's foolishness. The Jews have a hard time with that message. They stumble over Christ. And the apostles explained that to us. That that, that, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. And it's the stone that the builders rejected. But it has become the head of the corner. They're trying to build their building without Jesus the Christ. Hallelujah. And they can't get it built. And every time they try to build it and try to create this edifice of peace and this edifice of eternal joy and everlasting life, they keep stumbling over the obvious that Messiah has come and he brought peace and he put laughter into my soul. Hallelujah, glory, hallelujah. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, it's just crazy. It's just foolishness. Don't ever try, don't ever try to make this gospel accommodating to someone's perception of it, and lose what the gospel really is. The Jews call it a stumbling block. The Greeks, to them it is foolishness, verse 24, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, to those who saw it as a stumbling block, and to those who saw it as foolish, to all people, to Jews or Greeks, and that's that's really, in that day, that's encompassing, it's really encompassing the world. To the Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Hallelujah. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. And this is a fact of the matter. There are. There are not very many who are mighty and not very many who are noble, who are called. And, and, and what this means is, is that God has a call out to the whole world. But those who are mighty and noble often feel like they have need of nothing. And you and I had better never become that. We have an old saying, don't become high and mighty. You know who is high and mighty? There's only one. How can I be high and mighty when he's the one who's high and mighty? Hallelujah. I'm not the one who saved me. I'm not the one who made me holy. I'm not the one who cleansed me from my sin. I'm, I'm here because God is so good. I'm here because God is so merciful and gracious. He's the one who is high. He's the one who is mighty. Hallelujah. So sometimes it can be a little intimidating because we look out at our world and we, and we think, well, there's not very many who are high and mighty and noble and not very many who are, there aren't that many tongue-talking billionaires. There just aren't that many tongue-talking multi-billionaires. And the Bible explains to us, well, because they, they, they feel they have need of nothing. And so not many mighty and not many noble are called. And, and that doesn't mean we don't reach out to them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's simply don't be totally shocked when somebody rejects the gospel, it doesn't change the gospel you preach the gospel, you teach the gospel, and are you ready for this? You live the gospel. Because, because this is not the only place the gospel is preached. This is the public crying of the gospel, yes. And there is the five-fold ministry, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists who have the responsibility of speaking to the collective body of Christ to, to do the work of the ministry and to, to uh, equip the saints and perfect the saints and to edify the body of Christ. But, but the preaching of the gospel is to be done by all of us all the time. You know that we are living epistles? You know what epistles are? I'm reading from one right now. First Corinthians chapter one. And, 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 and let me give you some epistles. Romans one, 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation. That's an epistle. That is supposed to be, you are supposed to be that walking around. Living epistles read and known of all men. You and I are supposed to be walking around and all everything we say and do written all over our actions and deeds and mannerisms and treatments of people are to be the words of the epistles. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Philippians 4 and 13. Think on these things. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, if there be any truth, or if it's pure, or if it's of a good report, think on these things. Philippians 4 and 8. These are the epistles. We're supposed to live this. Hallelujah, there should not be bitter water or sweet and sweet water coming out of the same fountain. You just let sweetness flow from you. Don't let bitterness flow from you. That's the book of James. That's the epistle. People are supposed to be able to read that in the way you live and act and conduct yourself. That's the gospel. That's the life of Christ. That's the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. And we live that out and we live that out as we go through this life. Let's let's continue on as we as we we want to look into some other things. Let's read Romans chapter 10. I want to just read a few verses of scripture from Romans chapter 10 and we're going to read uh, we're going to read verse 12. He just spoke in 1 Corinthians 1 about the Jews and the Greeks and in Romans 10 and 12 he says there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. There is no difference. When you come into Jesus Christ, there is no difference between us. I said, when we come into Jesus Christ, there is no difference between us. We are not separated by nationality in Christ Jesus. We are a holy nation. We are a chosen generation. There is no age difference in the body of Christ hallelujah we, 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 we honor our elders we support our young we, we do what we can to bless them and, and, and help, help those who are of a certain age but, but we are a chosen generation if you are living and breathing this is your generation if you're alive here and you say well back in my generation what are you talking about back in your generation This is your generation. You have a role to play in this. You might have been a a young person in this generation. And now you might be an elderly person in this generation. But every generation needs elders. And it needs middle aged people. And it needs young people. All of whom are serving the Lord. Praise God. So we're, we're united uh, in age, we're united in nationality. We are united. The Bible says we are a holy nation, we are a royal or a, a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. This means that, that there are not there are not to be a lot of spiritual differences between us. Like I'm way up here and you're way down there or they're way up here and we're way down here. And I can only be healed if brother so-and-so comes and prays for me. Can we fly such and such evangelist, prophet evangelist in here to to anoint with oil? Well, if you want to go through all that expense, that's perfectly fine. Or you could just call the Holy Ghost-filled brother or sister that's sitting next to you. And they can anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. We don't, you're not supposed to put our faith in people. We're supposed to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If somebody operates in the gift of faith, then let's understand from them how to operate in the gift of faith because we've got that same gift. No, a royal priesthood. We are united in our spiritual strength, a holy nation. We are united in our, in our spiritual ethnicity. We are not of all the nations of the earth now. We are a holy nation in Christ Jesus. And a chosen generation, we are not separated by age and all of the complexities that may come with, with feelings in various age categories. No, we support one another in all of that. We are a peculiar people we are united even in our peculiarities your peculiarities are a blessing to the body of christ amen and all the wives said amen concerning their husbands that those peculiarities are a blessing to the body of christ and we are united in that i'm glad that we're not all just cookie cut like little robots but we are coming we come into this to this place and we bring all that we are and we baptize all of it in the name of jesus and and then we come up out of that watery grave and we've got this anointed personality that's different than this person's anointed personality and as a peculiar people we are we are one in christ jesus So we are, there's no difference between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed I report, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The book of Isaiah, chapter 57, you're gonna we're gonna read what the apostle was reciting. Isaiah chapter 57 uh, gives us this. This under, or chapter 52, uh, two, sorry, Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth. That's the gospel. Your God reigns. That is the gospel. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And I want, to, I want to come to a close here in a moment. But Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And, and I want to read just a few verses of scripture in your hearing. Verse 8. Vanity of vanities. saith the preacher. All is vanity. That is as much a part of the gospel of Christ. And as much a part of what needs to be in Involved with preaching as anything else. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. All of it's vanity. He said this right after explaining that, that the body is going to be breaking down shortly. Ecclesiastes 12 begins with the admonishment, Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Before the evil days draw night. Then he begins to describe the evil days. And the evil days involve your your body beginning to break down. Your body beginning to to show the effects of age that will lead ultimately to your physical demise. And he said in verse 8 that it is the responsibility of the preacher to remind us all that vanity of vanities all is vanity. It is a reminder to us. To focus on what matters. Only what you do for Christ will last. Don't get caught up in the things that are trivial. In the things that are vain. Vanity of vanities saith the preacher. All is vanity. And verse 9 opens up like this. And moreover. Moreover. That, that, that's a powerful word. More and over. In other words, above and beyond that. Because the preacher was wise. He didn't just tell them what was vain and what to avoid and what to abstain from. But because he was wise, even though everything is vain and this, this life is coming to a conclusion here on earth, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many Proverbs. That's what they are They're actions that we need to be taking proverbs that's what they are they are action that's what they literally mean they're not just catchy little sayings so that we can sound smart no they are they are admonitions so that we can live with wisdom so the preacher calls out that's vanity life on earth is coming to a conclusion Don't get so focused on the things of this world. What the world considers wise, it's foolish. But he doesn't just stop there. But because he was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. And and he taught them and gave good heed. And he sought out and he set in order many proverbs that they can act upon and live a good and godly life. On this earth. And be ready for eternity. It's eternal life. And it's abundant life. Abundant life on earth. And eternal life in glory. Verse number 10. The preacher sought to find out. Acceptable words. Words that they would accept. He, he took this great gospel. And he sought out. How can I make them understand it. And help it to be acceptable to them. And that which was written was upright. Even words of truth. Praise God. It's the role of preaching. The preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We heard such a great message this past Sunday. Oh hallelujah. As I sat there listening to brother Martin preach. I just I just wept. I did it on Sunday and I did it on Saturday at the men's conference. He preached some things can't be replaced. And those things that can't be replaced are family. You can't replace family. Job was able to replace all of his wealth, all of his cattle, all of his possessions. But when it came time for his children, the number of children was not doubled like all of his possessions. It was only restored to the original number he had because there's some things you cannot replace. And as that preaching came forth, it touched my soul. And it made me realize all over again, how important it is to invest in the people you're responsible for. That's what preaching will do for you. That's what preaching will do for you. Then we walk in on Sunday and brother Martin preached such a beautiful message. Hope remains. Hope remains. And he had those cardboard, uh, uh, uh little pieces of cardboard that he passed out and to different ones, and, and they grabbed holy He likened them to the pieces of the ship that Paul held on to and floated to shore when you can't swim. And we all knew what he was talking about because we've all been there when we were flailing and we couldn't find, we couldn't find a way to get our head above water. That's what preaching will do. Preaching will make it clear for you. Preaching will give your heart uh, insight, give your soul insight as to the hope that God has for you. Hallelujah. Listen to the preaching. Put yourself in position to receive preaching. Let the teaching of the word of God get down into your soul. Don't don't even bother with who it is that's standing in this pulpit. Let me tell you that whoever it is that's standing in this pulpit is going to be able to bring to you the word of life. And they're going to preach to you the truth of the word of God. Don't even worry about it. We can't have we can't have preacher religion. We don't serve preachers. We serve the Lord God Almighty, and this word is anointed from heaven. <laughs> Hallelujah! And that word we heard Sunday just it, it just reached down into our soul, and that's what preaching will do for you. Preaching will will get a hold of you. One of my favorite things to do is to just sitting at around at a round table. I love to just throw in the question: Who is preaching tonight? You got the Holy Ghost. I love it. Cuz everybody's answer is different. It's always unique. Sometimes they're like, "I was in children's church." Sometimes they say, "I was on a youth in a youth retreat." Sometimes they say, "We were in revival." Sometimes they say it was just a it was just a, a Wednesday night and the preacher was teaching on preaching and preaching on teaching and and and, I, and they just they share these beautiful testimonies of, of that moment when The preaching of the gospel made its way into their heart. Hallelujah. Open your heart to the preaching of the gospel. Glory to God. Glory to God. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. Come on, let's lift our hands and say, Lord, feed me, feed my soul. God wants to feed your soul tonight. God wants to feed your soul tonight. God wants to feed your soul tonight. If you're hungry for the word of God, let him feed your soul tonight. Let the gospel of Jesus Christ refresh you again. Let the uniqueness of the gospel, let the the acceptable words of the amazing grace of God feed you. Let God convict you of the vanity maybe that you're wrapped up in. And let God give you some proverbs, some, some, some actions that you can take. As you leave this place, some actions that you can take in your family, actions you can take in your prayer life, actions you can take in demonstrating the love of God, actions you can take in repenting from certain sin. Hallelujah. Come on, let's stand to our feet right now as our musicians come. Let's lift up our hands unto the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, God, we need you. We need you. We need you. Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord, into our hearts. We need you like we've never needed you before. Let me tell you something. I've, I've talked about preaching from the pulpit, but I want you to know that Philip joined himself to the chariot of e- the Ethiopian eunuch. And when he came to that chariot of the Ethiopian eunuch, that man sat there reading from the book of Isaiah And he was reading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Ethiopian eunuch sat there reading it. And Philip comes up beside that chariot. And he understood his role. I am a preacher. Hallelujah. I'm a preacher. And, And he had just preached in Samaria. And they all received the word gladly. And they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus when he preached in Samaria. Oh, he preached to the masses. But we're not just preaching to the masses. We're preaching to the individuals. And you're going to come across some people who are sitting in their proverbial chariot reading the gospel. And you need to let that holy anointing come on you and say, do you understand what you're reading? How can I accept some man should guide me? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Come on, you you don't have to have a lectern. And, 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 if, and if they've agreed to a Bible study, you can set up a chart. That's fine too. But, but you don't even have to have a kitchen table and a chart. He began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Jesus. The lamb for sinners slain. Oh, preachers, are you ready to go into this world and live this gospel out in front of everyone the Lord puts in your path? Are you you ready to let the gospel of Christ flow from your words and your deeds and your actions? Are you ready to bring people to the house of God and let them hear the preaching of the word of the Lord? I'm going to tell you, God's got a word for him. He's got a special word for him. I found out, and I, and I really am. I, it wasn't false advertising I said I'm coming to a close. I really am coming to a close. I remember preaching in San Diego, California, at a men's retreat. My father and I were both preaching there. And while we were preaching, uh, I, I preached a message about Josiah, and he preached a message about grace. And after the ser- sermons, after the service, a man walked up weeping, and he said, he said, I came here today with a burden for my children. And I said, "Lord, help me to be a better father and confirm to me, Lord, confirm some things to me. He said, "My son's name is Josiah. My daughter's name is Grace." I don't even know how God's going to reach who's here, but I know he will. Just 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 put them in proximity to the preaching of the gospel, and God will reach them. God will reach them lady who was a lawyer wrote a letter to my grandfather one time and she said Pastor Urshan, I've been told I should come to your church in Indianapolis, Indiana at the time. She said, I've been told I should come to your church. She said, I want to ask you a question because she said, "I I have been going to church and when I've been going to church She said, they they seem to put more doubt in me than I had before I walked in. She said, I need to ask you, do you believe in the virgin birth? Do you believe in the saving power of the blood of Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? She said, I need to come somewhere, not where they put more doubt in me, but where they preach my doubts away. Hallelujah. Hey, come on, church. This is why we're here, we're here to lift high the name of Jesus Christ and to preach the doubt away, preach the fear away, preach the intimidation away, hallelujah, preach the sadness off of people, preach the sin out of people, preach the sorrow off of their heart hallelujah, preach the chains off of their hands. Come on, we've got to preach it till they believe it. We've got to preach it till they obey it. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, let's lift up our hands unto the Lord. I'm making these altars available for somebody who just wants to draw closer to God. Hallelujah. Let God reach in and, and pull a vanity out of our heart. Let God... Lead us away from vanity and into some actions that we can take. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, that's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Let the Lord do it right now. Let the Lord do it right now. Let the Lord do it right now. In the name of Jesus. 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 Jesus. Hallelujah. You're mm-hmm. the this into the atmosphere. We are going to fill this city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to fill this city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then what we're doing, building this building is a part of it. And, and what has happened in Finneytown is a part of it. And we are going to fill this gospel, this city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's going to take an anointing of the Holy Ghost to do it. It will not be done by our might or power, but it will be done by the Spirit of the living God. And we're going to lift our voice like never before to herald the good news of Jesus Christ in this city. I want you to reach out and just pray for the person next to you, brother to brother, sister to sister, husband and wife. We've got to pray for one another to be anointed of God. To be humble before the lord to be wise wise as serpents and harmless as doves we want to walk into this world as a light to this world as a city on a hill that cannot be hid lord let us have wisdom let us have knowledge let us set in order many proverbs that will help us to accomplish what you have called us to accomplish, let us shine the light of your glorious gospel in every highway and byway of the city of Cincinnati. Lord, unify the feet of your body as we go forth as preachers of righteousness to declare the whole counsel of God. Lord, in us. Lord, put a compassion in us. Lord, give us understanding and the ability hallelujah to know how we ought to answer every man. Let our words be sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Let our actions be cleansed and purified by your spirit oh God let miracles and signs and wonders flow from the body of Christ hallelujah hallelujah let the power of the name of Jesus be known in our city in Jesus name Hey for us. We're going to have a high time in the Holy Ghost. Invite people to the house of God. Have them here. We're believing God's going to pour out his spirit in a mighty way. God bless you. If you want to continue praying, we encourage you to do so. God bless you in the name of the Lord.